Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Marla Aaron, jewelry designer and founder of her eponymous brand. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and JCK Online. I'm here at home in Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online, and I'm uh, in exile somewhere in the tri-state area. Still in exile. So we've got a really interesting guest today. It's been a while, I think, since we've had a designer on. We've been so COVID-focused over the last few months. And our designer is New York City-based Marla Aaron. She's been designing jewelry, or at least her collection has been around since 2012. And most of you will probably know her for the emotional hardware she makes, or at least that's how it's been described. She's famed for her lock jewelry, all kinds of combinations of it, um, locks and bridges and hardware. And those motifs are really ubiquitous in her collection. So we're looking forward to talking to her. And welcome, Marla. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Victoria, Rob, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak to you. And I love the name of the podcast because it's a place that's very close to my heart. And it's where I work every day. So you're right there. Are you on 47th Street? Actually, because of how noisy my office is and knowing that I had to do this, I'm actually working from my home office today. But my office is very proudly on 47th Street and has been for some time. So I know you have an unusual background for jewelry. You want to talk a little bit about how you got into the business and how you got where you are? I'm happy to. So I have had a career primarily in marketing and advertising, probably 20 plus years. I worked on the launch of Spanish Cosmopolitan, and I was in Spain for five years. I worked for Departures Magazine as the marketing director. I worked for Time Inc. in their corporate offices. And I've worked for the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, running communications were just some of the varieties of work I've done in the marketing and advertising arena. I have always been obsessed with jewelry and also equally obsessed with hardware. And sometime around 2003, 2004, I started going beyond dappling, spending a lot of my free time making things, taking jewelry classes. And I had this idea in my head that was really crystallizing about taking elements of hardware and combining them with chains that had no clasps. And that was sort of the initial idea. And when I realized sometime around 2007 that there was this thing called 3D printing, and I still had a full-time job at this time, that you could morph the shape of anything, I realized that these industrial shapes could have many flourishes. And I was kind of off to the races. And I was doing it for several years with my full-time job and just giving them away to friends and family. And then around 2012, 2013, I sort of hung out my shingle, meaning I quit my day job and sat down at my kitchen table and said, okay, let's make a business. Wow. From the launching Spanish Cosmo all the way to really making this obsession with locks, you know, manifesting it in a real collection. How did the lock thing come up? Was that something from childhood or? I think it was something from childhood. My mother talks about, you know, I used to carry hardware around the house like plugs in a little (laughs) purse. 
<laughs> when I was really little, I would pull plugs out of the wall and my nightlight. I was obsessed with the plug and the hardware and I would stick it in my purse and I would carry these things <laughs> around. I don't know if you can trace it back to that, but perhaps you can. And I guess that in addition to my love of jewelry and seeing this idea of connection and seeing certainly in the Victorian and Georgian era of charms and functional jewelry, there is a history of sort of industrial elements in jewelry. It's not just my jewelry. I mean, you can see it traced back in elements of old French jewelry from the 1930s. I mean, there's a historic element of those two worlds colliding in an interesting way, hardware and jewelry. Yeah, that whole art modern evolving into the machine age and retro aesthetic that is so cool. And were you looking back at those eras and consciously citing them? I mean, there's so many influences in our jewelry that I play with. You know, the Dime series is our series of bracelets and rings that open and close. And that's based on the Gimel ring, which you can see as far back as the 14th century We've made very large rings with lots of surface area to write on and a big mechanism in the back that's quite different. And we've played with that idea of the industrial and then we've delicately hand engraved the entire surface of that and we've made it into a bracelet and we've engraved Shakespearean sonnets and imagery. So very fanciful imagery on very industrial sort of, I guess you could maybe call it functional maximalism or something. A lot of industrial stuff obviously doesn't look that nice. How do you work with that? Because I don't think the industrial is always the influence, and it certainly was at the beginning. But for me, it's not about the industrial look of an object. It's about the functionality. So it's, it's also the weight of it. We use very different materials. When you have a piece of jewelry, like our most simple piece and maybe our most popular piece is our silver baby lock. It's, it's the easiest price point. It's not just about what it looks like, which is this industrial object, but the tininess of it, the weight of it, and then the way it opens and closes. It's a very complete experience. You come at it from that interesting background. I don't know any jewelers who came from marketing. So you were at Departures for a long time. Does that inform how you approach at least the marketing of your jewelry? You know, it's interesting. People ask that. And this was always a personal passion of mine. I'm very interested historically in jewelry on a personal level. I'm a collector of a wide variety of kinds of jewelry. I think I use my background in my work, but it's very different being driven by passion as opposed to being driven by this is what I'm supposed to do. But I apply everything I know to be a jewelry designer and some things I'm just going with my gut. Well, you have a really interesting take on a lot of different things. That must come from some element of your background informs that combined with just your creative approach and your passion. I mean, I come from the very traditional advertising industry. And when I approach my business today, I throw many of the things I believed as an absolute truth out the window because I believe that the world has changed so dramatically and the consumer is in control in such a very different way that I think those rules don't apply any longer. You know, you're still a, a relatively new designer. You know, how did you go about establishing yourself? How did you kind of put yourself on the map? You know, it's really challenging, and I won't say this is a very welcome industry. I would say if I could ever... <laughs> 
you know, I was very optimistic, almost ridiculously, crazily optimistic, which is what happens when you, I think, are creating something, you're kind of insane. So I thought that I had built this collection that was so interesting. I found someone who would help me make them and I was quitting my day job. And now I was just like, okay, when I sold the idea to my husband, I actually wrote a PowerPoint deck because we were, you know, two income family. We had two small children. I said, oh, by the way, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to become a jewelry designer. I mean, as a family, you don't do that lightly, right? And one of the pages of the presentation said, I quote, and within six months, I will be sold at the top 25 independent jewelry stores in America. And he read that and he goes, that's incredible. And I said, I know it's great, right? So that's what's going to happen. And he said, okay, hit it, go for it. But that's actually not what happened. I wrote a great email. I reached out. I packed up the jewelry. I literally went to some of these stores myself and the response was radio silence. And I'm sure neither of you are very surprised by that because that's not the code in this industry. The code is go to a trade show. And I hadn't budgeted for the trade shows. I didn't really know about them. And I naively thought people were going to see what I saw in the collection. But luckily, at the same time, Instagram was starting to take root and become a thing. I did not know how to use it, but I had two tweens in my house and I begged them to show me how to use it. And they laughed. And if, if you decide to scroll back in our very long, prolific Instagram, you'll see that the first picture is my son upside down. And he thought that was hilarious. And I also put an ad on Craigslist for someone who knew how to build a website to come sit with me and not just build my website, but teach me how to build a website. So there were these little baby steps that happened along the way. And then a woman reached out on Instagram who was a buyer for a Japanese chain of stores. So one of our first stores was not even in the United States. It was in Japan. And I had a little bit of faith in myself. This is a business. I did not invest any money. So I was basically producing what I would sell and nothing more. And this model we've adhered to sort of religiously, we really do just produce what we sell, which has been good for us from a business perspective. You, you left what seems like a high paying job. You obviously took a big income hit. Have you been able to make up that? And have you been as successful as you were in your last career? You know, someone recently said, I have to stop referring to it as a small business. We employ 14 people full time in this business. And every year until this year, we've doubled our size annually. And I mean by revenues. So your husband's happy that you did this? Yes, he's very proud of it. But I have to say he was supportive along the way. And I was very scared that first year, 2013, I started doing some consulting work in my original field and I was taking on consulting clients. And I always like to tell this because this is really important. I felt like that slowed me down. So for six months, I had income coming in, but I wasn't as focused on creating my business. And I think that was lost time. But I do think it's important to focus. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews help make them possible. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District wherever you may listen. And now, back to the show. So where are you now in terms of how you sell? You sell through your website. You sell through, like, how big is your wholesale network? We are very particular about our wholesale accounts. We're in about 40 stores around the world. 
and we guard our wholesale zealously. We have our own showroom in New York City. It's closed right now because of the situation, but it's going to reopen soon. And we're opening a new one in a couple of months, also on 47th Street. So wholesale is very important to our business, but it's always a question of the right partner. You've also said that you don't do consignment. Has that hurt you or? I mean, I came from outside the industry. I thought it was very crazy when I heard about consignment. I think those consignment relationships are complicated and certainly would not have been a prudent move as I was trying to grow the business. I mean, if I had done consignment, there are so many things, Rob, that I could not have done. In 2016, we were approached by the Museum of Finance that was doing a one-year exhibit called Gold Worth Its Weight. I thought they would take like a couple of our pieces. And then they approached me and said, we don't want a couple. We'd love to have your entire collection because we work in four colors of gold. And they thought that the collection could represent modern jewelry. And it was going to be for a full year. So a big investment for me. And at the same time, I was asked to participate in a very large scale consignment with a very large, well-known retail operation. And I was weighing the two options. And my husband, who's not from the industry, he said, well, I think this is a no brainer. You have to do the museum exhibit. So that was how that happened. And now we could afford to do consignment, certainly, but I don't believe in it. So Marley, you said you'd, and this is one example, this decision to not do consignment, but you'd said you sort of threw away the rule book when you left your previous career and decided you were going to do things untraditionally. And you've described yourself as a rebellious little company. What other things have you done unconventionally? And especially this year that has required a lot of unconventional thinking. I, Rob, you wrote about one of our most unconventional things, which is our vending machine that I built after a trip to Japan which premiered as an installation at the Brooklyn Museum. So I guess that's one way, doing a fine jewelry vending machine. And it got robbed at one point, right? It actually, unfortunately, it was the victim of credit card fraud. It was misconstrued in the press, unfortunately, as a robbery, which was not true at all. And we actually went on to install it again. And every installation was more successful than the previous one. So I would say that's one way we're rebellious and different. We talk about jewelry in a very stripped down way. And we talk about good jewelry, expensive jewelry in a very stripped down, authentic way. And it's not classist is how I'd like to say it. It's a very egalitarian approach to a very expensive handmade item. You know, we sell brass alongside our 18 karat jewelry on our website. We don't differentiate. I find the vernacular of the jewelry industry a bit outdated and a bit elitist. And I think that's sort of problematic. And I think that makes us a little bit different in that regard. The other thing I realized right away is that we needed to have our customer experience team, who are so amazing, be more integrated into our Instagram experience. So we created a secondary Instagram account during the pandemic called MAJ Help. And if you go to that account, you'll see it's kind of boring. But what MAJ Help does is everyone on the customer team takes terms running it. And our customers DM MAJ Health. And there's actually an instructional story saved on Marla Aaron to get you to go to MAJ Health. So there's a constant dialogue going on. And that was very well received by our customers. The other thing we did, so our showroom was closed. So we created the Let's Zoom. And it's not as simple as just let's get on a Zoom call and have a meeting. It's very different. 
we did a lot of test scenarios. It takes two people to do a Zoom properly with a customer because someone has to run a series of images and be able to access them fluidly. When you book the Zoom through the app that we use on our homepage, we ask you a series of questions so we can be prepared. You have a ton of followers on Instagram. You've got nearly 95,000. And I think that number is an interesting number, of course, but I think what's more interesting is how engaged they are with us, with our brand. And I personally write every word that you see on our website, on our newsletters, on our Instagram posts. I was reading something saying that normal celebrity influencers and social media influencers are kind of on the way out. And they feel that right now, the heads of companies like yourself are becoming influencers in themselves and that they're kind of speaking for themselves more than having, let's say, a social media person speak for them. Yeah, I think the fact that that would be a trend now, I find very funny because that's always just been the way it is at our company. My name's on the door and I didn't understand having someone else write our social media We've not worked with influencers, so I can't really comment on that. But I think it would be funny if owners of companies would become influencers. I mean, it's amazing you have time to write all of this. I guess that's your background, so you're good at it. Tell us how how you've managed during this crisis year. And it sounds like you're doing pretty darn well, all things considered. So I believe it was March 11th. We decided to send everybody home to work from home. So immediately I instituted a 9 a.m. and a 5 p.m. Zoom call every day. And we still adhere to it every single day. It was really just about keeping the team intact. Not like what's the status, but how are you and what can we do for you? What can we do? What is possible? Let's stick together. You're part of my team. And one of the things I said we should do is we have a Lock Your Mom project that I started five years ago where we give locks away to single moms. And we do that because I was a single mom on Mother's Day and I felt like it was very bittersweet to be a single mom of a small child on Mother's Day. So this year we were supposed to give away a thousand. Every year I doubled the number and they're sterling silver heart locks with an exclamation point on them for kind of the exclamation point of motherhood. And basically, if you know, love, or are a single mom, drop us a note. So I said to myself, is this crazy? I think we should do our Lock Your Mom project. And we had already had the locks. And we all kind of put our heads together and said, how can we get this done as a team? And we did. We didn't get the full thousand out. We got 500 out. But I honestly feel when you are in a bad place and you give, you know, in any way, It feels good and it's extremely motivating and it actually feeds your creativity. And I think it had that impact on my entire team and our business that had come to a complete halt came back and it came back very powerfully. What's driving that? First of all, I think jewelry is doing well in this moment, but I think our jewelry isn't just about wearing our pieces. It's about wearing our pieces with your pieces. People are feeling emotional And jewelry is a wonderful way to express that. And you're working on some new things for fall, right? In a new collection, I've heard. We are dropping an entirely new collection on September 15th, which I'm very, very excited about. And it's been very well received. And this is an enormous departure from what we normally do. We have our first object 
we have a new lock function that I've been working on for almost three years and some other very interesting pieces that are outside our normal wheelhouse. And the new website is launching that same day too. I really liked, and it was one of my favorite ads of, I think, last year or two years ago, the thing you, you did with the kids. I'm so happy you brought that up. It was going to be for a Valentine's Day installation. And I personally am obsessed with Shakespeare's Sonnet 130, which it's about love, but love devoid of beauty. So it says things like, my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Music hath a far more pleasing sound than her voice. It's basically the most oddly negative love poem in the world, but it is so beautiful. And I always had this idea that I wanted children to be reciting the words without having any real knowledge of the words themselves. So then on Valentine's Day, the video ran in the machine and it's still on our website. It ran on our homepage. And then my team and I ran around New York with the sonnet on little pieces of paper on Valentine's Day, and we gave it out to people in Grand Central and Penn Station. And do you think it helped you commercially or just kind of a cool thing to do? You know, Rob, with these things, I think you have to fire from every cylinder. There was no hard selling on it. The back just said Marla Aaron. It didn't even have our website. I think there were people that were completely enchanted by it. And there were people that threw it in the garbage and thought we were whack jobs. So somewhere in the middle, it was a great thing. Yeah. So as somebody who's a relative newcomer to the business, who tries to have a fresh perspective, what do you see as kind of missing from the business? Or where do you think the business needs to go? I think the cost of entry is high. By the grace of many, I was able to sneak in under the wire but I think it, we make it very hard for people to access the business. I think there's a degree of snobbery that I wish wasn't there. I really try very hard to be a mentor, even though I haven't been in the business long enough to really be a mentor. When I can, I try, I try to be because it's a complicated business. Any advice you would give to your newcoming self, to your older self? No, I, the only thing I wish is I had done this sooner. I wish I had had the courage and the guts to do this sooner. I was so unhappy in my job. I really was. I didn't. I don't think I even realized how unhappy I was doing the work that I was doing until I was doing what I do now. I also think that everything that you think is going to be really hard is actually not that hard. And things that you think are going to be really easy are actually quite hard. Yeah, well, 2021. Any parting thoughts on what 2021 and beyond will bring for you and for this industry? I am excited about new materials that are in the industry. I'm excited about new technologies. I'm very excited about how 3D printing continues to evolve. And I'm just really inspired by the creativity that I continue to see in this business. And I think that the way the world has changed so much is there's ways for jewelry designers like me to speak to their customers and stores to work within that context in a very powerful way. I always see a role for excellent stores, which are a huge part of our strategy, but there's many ways to talk to customers today. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you liked what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK. Thank you.